Washington, D.C., the swamp itself. This is The Week's Worst with Allen and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Scott Walter, President of the Capital Research Center. I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. Today, we're going to discuss President Trump's controversial travel ban, which critics say is actually a Muslim ban. Steve, can you bring us up to speed on this? Yeah, uh, the, the background of this, real quickly for our listeners, is that there were originally uh, seven countries included in an order that would um, uh, stop the uh, immigration from those countries for 90 days until procedures could be worked out to make sure that the American people are kept safe. It also included uh, the, um, it was 120 days, and also included a ban on uh, immigration from uh, of Syrian refugees uh, for an indefinite period of time. And uh, these, these countries were Iraq, Iran, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, and Somalia. Uh, these are all terrorist hotspots and had been designated so by the Obama administration. However, critics attacked this uh, procedure uh, as a as a de facto Muslim ban, which is absurd, but we'll get into that later. Uh, and the courts, uh, some left-wing courts, uh, uh, blocked its implementation. So it was revised and sent back. Uh, for example, they took out Iraq. They added uh, a number of exceptions to the rule, protected people such as visa holders and so forth, addressed some of the criticisms that there had been. Some of the criticisms were legitimate uh, of the earlier version of the, of the proposal. And uh, it went back through the courts, and then it went to a uh, judge in, in Honolulu and a judge uh, in Maryland, uh, and they issued orders, or district judges, or lo- relatively lower uh, judges in the federal system, and they issued orders now stopping this thing all over again, raising profound questions regarding the power of the judiciary and the ability of left-wing judges to interfere with the American democratic process. But So that's where we are right now. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Trump's been accused of not respecting the role of the, of the judiciary in our system of checks and balances. Why shouldn't he just follow the judge's decision? Well, you know, there's a long tradition in this country, uh, goes back to the beginning of, of presidents and and uh, other politicians and members of Congress uh, getting into spats with judges, uh, and there should be, because that's all part of the part of the process that uh, we have in our country under the Constitution. We have three co-equal branches of government. Uh, we have the legislative, the executive, and the judicial, and uh, they're perfectly fine in criticizing uh, each other. Now, j- judges should keep that in the courtroom and in their rulings, uh, but uh, politicians, uh, they're out there with the public, and they're supposed to represent the public, and they should be able to criticize what judges do. Now, uh, and, and there are even restraints of built into the Constitution regarding the jurisdiction of courts and things that where one branch of government can sort of check the power of a different branch. They're supposed to be uh, co-equal so that they can balance each other. Uh, but part of that is, again, the president should be allowed to criticize judges, and particularly when they do something like they did in this case. Um, there's uh, the, the statute is clear. The president has the authority to control who comes into this country. By, uh, by the statute, if I could just add some a little bit of background there, you're referring to 8 U.S. Code um, Part 1182, which states, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental 
to the interests of the United States, he may suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. That is current federal law. Right. And for our listeners who've been indoctrinated in some of the current uh, ideas about political terminology, uh, there's nothing derogatory in the term alien. If I were in France, I would be an alien of France. And that's just the terminology for someone who's not uh, a citizen of that country, not uh, uh, in that country on the basis of uh, being being either born there or, or being a naturalized citizen. So, so uh, yes, the president has pretty much absolute authority. It's, a, uh, it's something that's akin to the pardon power. You know, we often complain when a president goes out of office and pardons people right at the end, and we wish we could do something about it, but uh, the fact is the president, and for good reasons in most cases, the president has an absolute pardon power, and in this case, the president has an absolute uh, authority over who comes into the country and who doesn't, and that's what the judges are now trying to uh, to abrogate. But Matthew, uh, in this case, the judges are saying that they had to uh, rule Trump's ban unconstitutional because it violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Why isn't that relevant? Well, the Establishment Clause doesn't apply to matters of national security or immigration. The Establishment Clause, I don't think, has ever been held by any court to apply uh, to those, uh, in those um, fields of endeavor. Uh, the Establishment Clause protects political speech, uh, and it protects—sorry, uh, uh, the First Amendment protects uh, political speech. The Establishment Clause uh, has what some inaccurately refer to as uh, it protects the separation of church and state, uh, but it, it, it keeps um, uh, religion um, at, at arm's length from the government. Uh, and we could go on and have a big discussion about that, but uh, it would probably bore everybody. The, the, the thing is, with immigration and with natural, national security, um, these rulings by courts recently, by the Maryland federal judge and by the Hawaii federal judge, by Judge Robart in Washington state, by uh, there was a judge in Brook, a federal judge in Brooklyn, New York, the Eastern District of New York, and there was the Ninth Circuit panel that, that ruled on this. And they mostly, uh, from, from what I recall, they didn't cite the federal law, 8 U.S. Code 1182, at all. They just said that they took general principles of law that might apply in other situations and said that various people might suffer irreparable harm if the executive order were to go into full effect. And so they granted temporary restraining orders on that basis. Um, but that's not, that's not a valid consideration. Uh, <clears throat> that's not a valid way of doing it when you're looking at national security or immigration-related matters, uh, where the president has long been recognized by the courts uh, as being um, a state actor who is entitled to great deference from the judicial branch. He can't do everything he wants to do uh, by means of executive orders. I think that was what we found in the, uh, the Truman administration, the steel seizure cases, where President Truman, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Counselor Steve, uh, seized steel foundries 
because he didn't want the production for the war effort in the Korean War to be interrupted. And that was considered to be so so um, uh, uh, crazy, so so absurd and outrageous that the Supreme Court, you know, uh, ruled that he couldn't do that. But that's about the only example I can think of where they've done that sort of thing. You don't want judges sitting around second-guessing the commander-in-chief who was elected by the, all of the American people to protect the nation. You don't want, um, you know, justice... Uh, Elena Kagan uh, sitting there on a uh, on uh, the USS Ronald Reagan deciding whether it is appropriate to launch an airstrike against an Iranian vessel that's threatening um, uh, United States interests in this in the Straits uh, in the Strait of Hormuz, for example. So it, it, it's just people. A lot of people don't understand how this works, uh, especially people on the left. They think that the Constitution protects all that is good. If it does what they want it to do, then a law is constitutional. In other words, they think the Constitution is is an instrument uh, for being nice to people <laughs> instead of a restraint uh, on the powers of the government. Uh, Steve, let me ask you uh, a different religious question involved in this controversy. Uh, you know, during the Cold War, the United States set uh, visas aside, especially for Soviet Jews escaping religious persecution. Why isn't that an argument for allowing Muslim refugees in today? Well, <laughs> we actually have the opposite situation, uh, because what's happened is the Obama administration set up a policy regarding the Syrian refugees. Now remember, this is the Syrian refugees who are refugees largely because of the policy of uh, President Obama and his uh, then Secretary of State during much of this time, which was Hillary Clinton. News reports never mention that. Yeah, I know, I know. And so you have the largest refugee crisis, it really is, uh, since uh, World War II. Uh, right now, there are more refugees in the world than there have been in that entire period, or that covers my entire life, for example. So, so, so that's the mess that the Obama-Clinton foreign policy got us into. So I understand some thought on the part of people on the left that, uh, well, we're responsible for this by, you know, we meaning they, but that this country is responsible because our president did it and his secretary of state did it. And they encouraged the rebellion in Syria uh, and then didn't support the people who were the good rebels. And what happened was they got wiped out and that left the bad rebels who were people Basically, ISIS is who we're talking about here. And then they established an enclave. They established the Islamic State. Uh, and uh, they were able to do this. So now you have all these people, these pictures of these uh, children who are fleeing uh, from the horror in Syria. And you see, uh, you know, the, 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 the bloody pictures as they're referred to. But in fact, what you go back and find is that in 2011, when the, when the, when the war started in Syria, uh, the Obama administration uh, did hardly anything. They, um, they, they only took in a, a handful of refugees. I think it was in, in like double digits. Uh, and then the same was true for the next year, the next year. And then finally, in around 2015, they started taking in a few thousand, uh, I think it was less than 2,000. Uh, and, then, and then suddenly ratcheted it up right at the end. Uh, so this would be the responsibility of the next president uh, for the, 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 the ramifications of all that. Now, what happened was Syria was about 10% Christian when all this started. 
there were also a substantial number of Yazidis, which is a, a, a persecuted uh, religious group. And um, yet the refugees that were admitted to the United States were, I think, of the first batch, it was like one and a half percent or one percent Christian. It's now under one half of one percent. So instead of 10 percent, it's one half of a percent. And the Yazidis, the first group, it was, there was one part of the first few thousand, there was one Yazidi, one, not 1%, one. Uh, and so they were literally admitting only the people who were not the ones who were being subject to genocide. And, and the, the reference is made sometimes to the case of the, um, the SS St. Louis. That was the ship that, of Jewish refugees that tried to get uh, to escape from Hitler, and uh, they were denied entry uh, in the United States. And this is considered one of the great uh, humanitarian uh, uh, disasters, uh, 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 crimes almost, of, of people who lived in that time period, who were the government officials, that they didn't give the Jews uh, a chance to escape from Hitler. Well, of course, that was based on the idea that if you're a Jew and you're trying to escape from Hitler, maybe you should be given top priority. Or maybe you and some of the other, there were some other groups that were horribly persecuted by Hitler, but certainly Jews would be pretty close to the top of that list. And yet this judge is ruling in the opposite direction. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you're absolutely right. During the Cold War, uh, Jews were persecuted in the, in the Soviet Union. They were given priority and no one ever raised the argument that somehow this is a violation uh, of the First Amendment. And let me just comment on what Matthew said earlier. Uh, there's a, uh, there are two areas of the First Amendment that have to do with religious freedom. One is uh, that you have uh, freedom of religion yourself, and the other is that the government can't establish a religion. Uh, the reference would be to uh, the uh, official church in England. That's what they were trying to get away from, the idea that you have an Anglican church that's the official government church. So the First Amendment is supposed to prevent that. Now, the first part that I mentioned doesn't apply uh, to people coming into the country because only people who are uh, either uh, in the United States or citizens of the United States have uh, the constitutional rights. Otherwise, we would be... Uh, <laughs> Uh, forced to intervene in countries around the world to protect the rights of all those other people, which would, I would love to do if only we could do that without blowing up the world and creating disasters, as we've seen from recent years when we stick our nose into places that we, we shouldn't be. Uh, so that one doesn't apply. The other is, are you establishing a religion? And there, there's a, a three-pronged test that's usually used. It's called the lemon test. And one is uh, whether the action that the government official wants to take has a primarily secular purpose, one that's not primarily religious. Uh, and then the second is, uh, does it have the principal effect of advancing a particular religion? And then the third is, does it entangle the government with religion? Well, I don't think you know Donald Trump has put on his uh, cap as a member of uh, you know some bishopric somewhere. I, I don't think he's suddenly a religious figure who's trying to entangle the government with his religion. Uh, I don't think most people can tell you specifically what. I guess they could say you, you know I guess he's a Christian, but that's about as much as most people could say about Donald Trump uh, as far as his religion. He's not an especially religious guy, so that certainly is not uh, uh, that, that it doesn't meet the the that test. And then you have, uh, uh, does it have the effect of inhibiting religion? I don't think keeping out a few refugees 
uh, or keeping out a few uh, people from from uh, countries that happen to be majority Muslim is going to have a significant effect on turning this country into uh, a non-Christian country. So that that one doesn't. And then the, 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 that that does that that test uh, doesn't apply. And then the other part is, um, it, does it have a primarily secular purpose? And clearly, we're using the list, the original list, before Iraq was taken off as part of the, after the criticism, uh, the original list was terrorist hotspots. If you go down the list of countries that are the top Muslim countries, either by population or by percentage, you can't pick out these countries. That is to say, they're sort of randomly distributed on the list. There are 47 countries that are majority Muslim. There are 57 that are members of the uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the the sort of the club of uh, of Islamic countries. And uh, uh, you'd be you'd, you, if you didn't know in advance which countries had been picked, uh, you wouldn't be able to look at this and say, oh, well, that's a Muslim ban. It's not a Muslim ban. Uh, that's the thing that the critics say that they just can't back up. There's just no evidence for that, uh, and uh, the uh, and yet they keep doing it. It's basically fake news. It's something you see on website, you know, news websites and, and headlines in newspapers, uh, the lead on the Today Show and other morning shows, and they'll have the, the graphic on the screen and say it's a Muslim ban, but it ain't. Well, Matthew, moving past the legal issues, why is this travel ban good policy? Uh, one obvious criticism people make is that there have been nine fatal attacks by Islamist terrorists on U.S. soil since 9-11. And the countries of origin of those attackers, uh, none of them are included in the ban. Uh, Those countries would be Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Lebanon, Egypt, Kuwait, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Russia. Well, one of the problems is that, and I'm not going to dwell on this, is that the courts that have been putting stays on the executive orders um, are not staying within the so what lawyers call the four corners of the document. They're just supposed to look at what the order says. Instead, they're looking beyond it. They're looking at what Rudy Giuliani said on TV. They're looking at comments that President Trump made during uh, the campaign. Uh, that demonstrate in the words of, uh, I think it was uh, the Honolulu judge, um, Derek Kahala Watson, uh, who said that these statements uh, demonstrated a a certain animus towards uh, a specific religion, that being um, Islam. Um, So... The, 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 the question of whether you actually can produce a body count is not relevant legally. Stepping away from that, though, um, there have been a lot more attacks. They, what, I think you just said, uh, Scott, that it, there were seven or eight attacks that led to fatalities in the United States that have been considered Muslim terrorist attacks. I think that the figure of all Muslim terrorist attacks since 9-11 is closer to 80, according to what the Heritage Foundation uh, uh, has been tracking. So um, these, you know, you can't just judge it based on successful terrorist attacks. You also have to take into account the terrorist attacks uh, that were... 
um, that were unsuccessful, that we managed to foil somehow uh, and prevent from uh, happening. And there is a big problem um, in countries like Syria, where there are no, there is not much of a functioning central government. We cannot get records from them in order to vet refugee claimants to see if they're to see if they're bad people, to see if they're career criminals or associated with terrorist groups, uh, and so on. And a lot of these countries um, are 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 in the same position. And in addition, terrorist groups like Islamic State. Uh, they have been bragging openly that they are planting their people in the refugee claimant um, stream. So they said they, they're saying right there for everyone to hear that um, th- their people are coming as refugees um, to Europe and to uh, the United States. So if you had to establish an actual evidentiary basis to to justify the travel ban, the executive order, um, uh, you have it there. You don't have to show up with, you don't have to show up with a pile of bodies. All you have to show is that there is a threat to United St- U.S. national security. The, the commander-in-chief, the president, uh, is in a unique position to make that judgment call, having access to um, all sorts of intelligence reports that the average person doesn't have access to, and that f- members of the federal judiciary definitely do not have access to. Um, so the, the president is entitled to protect us from perceived threats. And judges, uh, judges, that's not really their responsibility, and they overstep their authority and become black-robed um, politicians uh, when they uh, when they get in uh, President Trump's way on this matter, Steve. So much of the radical Islamic terrorism in this country has been homegrown. Uh, the Pulse nightclub shooter, for instance, he was an American. He was radicalized on our soil. Why should the president put the focus overseas? Well, because you're trying to keep people from coming in and doing terrible things. Uh, it's very difficult to do things uh, in that regard for people who are already here. Uh, you know, if, if, if someone is, is in the United States is being radicalized uh, or has been radicalized as part of the, uh, their religious training, uh, then, well, you try, to, you try to track that. You try to find out who the radical imams are or others who are uh, leaders of hate organizations, uh, whether they're religious or not. You try to keep track of that. With, uh, that's what the FBI does. That's what other uh, law enforcement agencies do. But we're talking about international affairs, and we're talking about trying to stop people from coming into the country who are a threat to this country. You know, the, the, you can't judge by what's already happened uh, when you're trying to prevent things that are happening in the future. And of course, as, as uh, Matthew has pointed out, even if you do look at what's already happened, if you look at the attempts, you get a different result from if you look at the, the few that have been successful. Thank goodness, uh, relatively few that have been successful. Uh, the countries that we're talking about you know, these are not nice places. Uh, every single one of these countries on the list 
has territory that enforces Sharia law that includes the execution of homosexuals, uh, that includes the oppression, uh, the subjugation of women, uh, that in, uh, that uh, has uh, very much the sexual mutilation of women. People forget that that's an important part of the subjugation of women, and uh, the uh, you know the people who come from there or have ties there uh, are uh, people that uh, tend to be radicalized, and uh, and and certainly with regard to the you know you're talking about the the refugees. Uh, USA Today had a story about a Syrian refugee camp and how there was a, a fellow in there who was who was gay. And he knew if he mentioned that fact to anyone or if somehow someone found out that his life would probably be over uh, because he knew the people who were in that camp with him. Uh, that doesn't mean there are not a lot of children. There are not a lot of people who are good people who are trying to flee oppression. Uh, but you've got to have a vetting procedure. And you're talking about part of the country. You don't have records. I mean, we don't have computer records of what these people have been up to. Uh, we can't look on their Facebook pages to find out where they are. So you have to have very strict vetting procedures. Uh, and uh, you can't allow what's happened in Europe where people have flooded into Europe. And those attacks often have been people who have been part of refugee populations or have ties to refugee populations that were supporting them in their terrorist uh, And activities. the whole purpose of President Trump's executive orders, these so-called travel bans, was to, um, to have a pause on immigration from certain, from terrorism-producing uh, parts of the world so that this new administration, remember, he was only sworn in, what, month, month and a half ago, uh, and he, it, it was so that the Trump administration can implement its plan uh, of so-called extreme vetting to make sure that the baddies don't get through the screening process. <clears throat> Something also that hasn't, I, that's kind of bugged me in the press coverage uh, since the ruling by um, Judge Watson in Honolulu uh, was that the lawsuit that he was ruling on was brought by an Egyptian-born Muslim cleric named Ismail el-Sheikh. Uh, he is an imam to the Muslim Association of Hawaii uh, and has ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, particularly to a fringe radical uh, Muslim group called the North American Imam Federation. Um, so it's fascinating that someone uh, who may very well uh, be plotting with terrorists, or at least know, you know, I, I, part of their inner circle uh, is the one who brought this lawsuit that so far has been successful, uh, and that le and on which the the judge in Honolulu, uh, against which the judge in Honolulu issued a, a temporary re restraining order. So we basically have the Muslim Brotherhood uh, now determining U.S. immigration policy, and I'm not seeing that discussed well anywhere. Uh, except maybe on some of the, the right-leaning uh, uh, news outlets like Breitbart and so on and Pajamas Media. Uh, no one seems to have noticed this, that the, that, you know, that cliche, the terrorists have won. Well, yes, they have. They're in control of U.S. immigration policy right now. And uh, it's absurd and outrageous, and nobody seems to be talking about it. One of the really bad developments on the left has been that they've stopped differentiating between different Muslims. You know, it's a there are 1.2 billion or so uh, Muslims in the world, and there are all sorts of uh, uh, different uh, stripes and, and and formulations of how people see Islam. 
Uh, but there are a lot of people who are really bad, who believe in Sharia law, who are affiliated with groups like the like the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, they uh, probably the majority of mosques in the country, or at least in some degree, radicalized. Now, whether they call for violence or whether they just have hate against uh, women and and uh, and and uh, homosexuals, or or whether they're reformists who believe in democratic values and and believe in uh, people uh, being allowed to live their lives. Uh, you know, those are things that. Uh, are different for different mos- mosques and different uh, uh, factions in the in the Muslim community. And what the president has at least said he's trying to do, and, and when they go back and research his campaign statements to try to find things to shoot down his policies, well, they should look at this. He's talked about teaming up with the good guys to beat the bad guys and how we need to do that, that we can't beat the bad guys uh, solely on uh, by staying you know in within our own culture and not communicating with people on the uh, on the other side and you have places like like Jordan like the the, the government in uh, the current government in Egypt that overthrew the Obama backed government um, where they're willing to help us now they're not perfect they do a lot of things I don't agree with but they're certainly better than the people that they would like uh, to, to work with us to defeat well Steve you have a law degree if you were advising the president at this point, what would your advice be? Well, one of the problems we have, and this has been pointed out for years, I, I worked uh, in Newt Gingrich's campaign, and uh, Newt got in trouble for writing an op-ed saying we need to figure out some way to rein in the out-of-control judiciary because they're getting more and more arrogant. They're taking in more power uh, to themselves and trying to basically overthrow the form of government that we have. Uh, Megan Kelly, by the way, attacked him for, for, for uh, writing this. And uh, the, uh, the fact is we have to come up with some way to have a better judicial system. You shouldn't have a couple of district court... I mean, these these aren't even like higher court judges. These are district court judges uh, issuing uh, rulings that affect the whole country. And what about all those judges out there who may disagree with them? How did they get to the first of the line? Was this, you know, forum shopping, judge shopping? You've got... Well, and also it's kind of strange that it was a Hawaii judge, federal judge, who did this, and that's part of the Ninth Circuit, which is going to rubber stamp anything... Anything, any anti-Trump ruling, um, you know, they can. Right. The, the, ninth, the ninth Circuit or the Ninth Circus, as uh, uh, moderates and mainstream people on constitutional issues refer to them, uh, they're basically a bunch of nuts. And uh, and they, they get overturned when they get to the Supreme Court. What is it, 80% of the Something time? Something like 80%. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you we have, to, we have to start looking critically at ways to improve uh, the system so that this kind of thing can happen. Of course, one way— we would be to get a fifth member of the Supreme Court. If you had a fifth member of the Supreme Court, uh, then you would have. Uh, it would, um, you mean um, a fifth conservative member? A fifth, excuse me, a fifth conservative member uh, to fill that vacancy, the Scalia vacancy, uh, and uh, then you would uh, it would get the Supreme Court, and you'd have a resolution to this. Now you may have one anyway. Uh, I mean, this is so bad that Alan Dershowitz, who's a famous liberal lawyer, says even with the current Supreme Court four to four between the four radicals and the four relatively mainstream people, that uh, even with that split, you may have one of the people on the left uh, who says, oh, come on, we can't do this, and, uh, and we'll overturn it. So that's, uh, that's to be hoped for. But don't bet the farm on it. Well, Matthew, uh, Steve's talked about judicial avenues for redressing the situation, uh, but longer term, what would you like to see Congress do about this problem? Well, I think it'd be a great idea, and this is something that Congressman Louis Gohmert, Republican Texas, a great guy, uh, proposed um, a couple of days ago, I think it was on the Lou Dobbs show on Fox Business, 
Uh, he said that there should be legislation that removes um, Article II courts uh, or federal courts' um, jurisdiction in, um, in matters involving uh, immigration. Uh, and uh, that makes actually a lot of sense uh, because then the courts hearing the cases would just all of a sudden um, uh, the cases would be mooted. They would lose jurisdiction and their cases would be over. Um, certain things should not be reviewable by the courts. And, and this is one of those things. Um, Congress and and also- by the way, that's in the Constitution for anyone who might object and say, oh, you can't do that. It's specifically in the Constitution. That right. The, the, the Congress determines the jurisdiction of federal courts, and that, that's, that's beyond dispute. Something else that it could do is uh, Congress could declare the Muslim Brotherhood to be a terrorist organization because it does have its tentacles in the U.S. government. You had those three um, um, information technologists uh, on Capitol Hill recently. I think they worked for the House of Representatives who were outed as, as, as leaking information and uh, uh, have, getting access to um, uh, sensitive documents, which they could have passed on um, to the, um, the Islamic terrorist under, underworld. These were three uh, mo- young Muslim men. Uh, computer nerds, and you know that's that's very dangerous. Uh, they, so that would be a good thing to um, to designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. That would definitely help with the fight here um, uh, at home uh, against uh, Islamic terror. Okay, well that's our show this week, folks. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. Uh, If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on social media. Uh, For Facebook and YouTube, you can find us at Capital Research Center. And on Twitter, our handle is at Capital Research. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Batum. And I'm Scott Walter. Thanks for listening.